Exactly. Just take action was the real thing that I kept thinking to myself. Um, you know, I just, if I keep taking action, small little action each day and buy something, I'm, you know, then, cause I, I was doing a lot of analysis, but I think the first time I took action, they're like, wow, this really excites me. And so I wanted to keep doing that. Um, so that, that was, that was a key. I think. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth, but why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start, and most of the education out there is just complete trash, and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today, I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. So for today, what I want to do is go back and replay a past episode that was really one of the best episodes I feel like we've done to date. And that episode was episode number 31 with Mike Hennig. And what I really like about this episode is Mike, he works, he doesn't even work in real estate and he's built a significant real estate portfolio as the main sponsor. So he hasn't just invested in other people's deals or invested in only, you know, REITs or something. I mean, he is an active investor doing this on the side of a, of a pretty demanding uh, consulting job and also his kids. And, you know, he's, he's very, got a very busy life. Um, but was, was a really a great episode about how to get started investing in real estate. And, and he said a lot of things that really resonated with me. Um, most of them, I'm not going to just repeat here. I want to leave it for the actual episode, but one thing in particular, and I, uh, I mean, this episode came out in like early 2022. So it's also the podcast grown really a lot, uh, since then. So easy to have missed this. So I want to, um, sort of highlight this episode, bring it to the top of the playlist, if you will, add a little bit of color now. Um, but if if you haven't listened to it, it's it's really, really worth listening to. Uh, if you have listened to it, I mean, it's probably a year ago. Let's, let's listen to it again. Um, you'll learn something new on this time. And so, Mike, I asked him, you know, how did you think you could buy your first deal? You know, because what's funny is, at least for me, I was... Uh, you know, I, f I was kind of going the direction of maybe like a career in real estate investing where, you know, Mike's career was consulting. And what he said was so simple. I just, just loved it where he said that, um, well, everyone eventually buys a house, you know, for the most part. So I figured I could too, you know, what a 60 some percent of the country is a, is a, you know, a homeowner. And so he didn't, he didn't think, well, buying like a rental house in uh, South Bend, Indiana is going to be so daunting i could never do it you know most of the more than half the country eventually does this why why can't i and i thought that was just so great because a lot of people they let a lot of things hold them back or they got hang-ups they need to learn more they need to learn more what if this goes wrong what if that goes wrong and you know when people ask me like what was i thinking when i get started i'm get, i give a similar answer so i really liked what mike said right i talk about keeping it simple and just only kind of thinking about a couple things with the deal and buying a very simple first deal. And that's the same thing Mike did. So it was really interesting to hear that answer. And then 
you know, I look at the messages I get on social media or, uh, you know, stuff emailed to me, uh, you know, or, or just our comments on uh, the episodes on YouTube or what have you. You know, a lot of people want to know how to do their first deal. And this is one of our best episodes, if not the best, about doing your first deal, because we're talking to someone about doing uh, doing deals and doing them on the side. So if you were working a job right now and you want to do a deal, buy your first property, no excuses. Listen to this. Do what Mike did. So um, the whole playbook's right here where we go long form and kind of cover it all. So um, I found this to be one of my favorite episodes for that that part that listener that's looking for that, which is so many people that are, you know reach out and want to you know get get advice or learn more. I mean, this is this is all in this episode. So um, hope you all enjoy it. And then also too, real quick, if you have not you know shared the podcast with anybody, I mean, please do. Also, if you could leave a rating or review, um, that really really helps a lot in terms of the these platforms pushing it out to other folks. Or if someone looks at the podcast and they see, hey, look, this has a hundred plus five star reviews, you know, they, they will look at it differently than something that has no ratings or, you know, as, you know, a few, you know, so let's anything you can do to share it or, you know, write a written review, especially on Apple, like that helps a lot and it doesn't take long. Just, you know, say, um, say what you think of me and leave five stars or say your favorite episode or something you learned and just, um, put it in there and same thing, Spotify, you don't even need to write anything. You just, um, you know, need to be a listener, uh, and then press five stars and submit. So, uh, thank you all for, for, uh, you know, being on this ride with me. This podcast has grown really a lot the last, uh, you know, especially year and a half, two years. So, um, just wanted to go back and I, I'm going to, I've done a few more of these or going to do a few more where going to pick, like if I had an older episode that was just really like, Hey, this is super timely. I haven't, uh, you know, still now I haven't done a how do you invest with a full-time job episode since um i did do an episode how to do your first deal um somewhere around maybe episode 50 uh, where that was a solo episode that i put out so if if you want to learn how to do your first deal i kind of go step by step on what i did um but this is more about you know also doing it full-time and hearing from someone other than just just me so hope you all enjoy thank you great to be here (laughs) great yeah mike's up part-time real estate investor, but his portfolio size is anything but part-time. He's got about $10 million of properties and wanted to bring him on and hear how he was able to do this while working a full-time job. Absolutely, Drew. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. And cool. I think too, one thing I want to mention before we get like fully rolling here is just, we have a ton of written content on our website. So we have like some information on the outro about this, but two, just want to bring it up at the start here where we have our blog on the website and we actually just put out a new article um, pretty recently about what the Fed funds rate increase means for for mortgages. And it actually, it works differently than a lot of people think. It's not just like, okay, they raise the rate 75 bips and then your mortgage goes up up 75. It actually works differently. So we wanted to kind of write about how that all works. So that's, we just recently put that out. Um, And then we have a bunch of other written content on there. So so with that out of the way, let's let's get started. Excellent. Great. Well, yeah. So then maybe let's just start with what you do for a day job just to give this some context. Yeah. So uh, I work for a company called Gallup, and you may have heard of the Gallup poll, for example. Um, so it's that same company, and we do 
Um, we do polling sort of and um, analytics and research around the world, around the country. I specifically work in at the part of the business that works with organizations. So we will do, we will measure sentiment for employees at an organization around their engagement, well-being, burnout, and then provide insights back to the organization on how their people are feeling. So that's the majority of what I do there. And um, we have some other products that we sell, like Clifton Strengths, which I know um, you guys use a similar thing when you're hiring, yeah. just to get the sense of what makes up a person's makeup, for example. Um, so that's that's my day job. Nice. At Gallup. Yeah. Yeah. So then if you're doing that, then kind of how do you, what was what was the thought behind getting starting uh, going in real estate investing? Yeah. So I've I've actually been investing since um, really 2008, 2007, 2008. Um, and really, I uh, I was in college and I was living with nine other guys. And we we each had a, a room at this house with nine bedrooms, and we're each paying like three hundred seventy five dollars for our room, which was fine for you know an individual. But I'm thinking to myself, man, this guy's making nine times three seventy five. It's like thirty four hundred dollars a month in rent. And I looked up the price of the house, and it was like forty five thousand dollars in wow. South Bend, Indiana. And so I. I thought about that and and that kind of got me thinking man this guy's making a ton of money his, his mortgage is probably like three hundred dollars and the rest is all profit and it's not like he was fixing things in our house either yeah. whenever we had issues <laughs> so that was kind of my first interest and then of, of course i read rich dad poor dad and and started to think man i i kind of want to you know move this direction get involved in real estate so that's kind of how i started thinking about it nice was that the first book you read on investing then or it was, yeah. The yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad was the first book I read. It really got me interested in the mindset. Um, and I started. I did read some other books, kind of leading up there, but that was definitely the one that got me got me at first interested. And then that you read in college, or like how old were you? Yeah, I read in college. I read in college, like while I was living in this house. Um, and then I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to start to take you know my first steps towards investing after that. Yeah. So that planted the seed in your head. Yes. And then how long after that? Like, so what were your sort of next steps from there? So I graduated in mid May of 2007 and uh, I got a job in consulting for Deloitte Consulting. And so I was going to be on the road Monday through Thursday. And so I thought to myself, I can just live at my parents' house um, and and buy a rent. And that's basically what I did. I, I knew the South Bend market, which is where I had gone to school, I'd gone to college there. And so I, I was looking for houses in South Bend and I found one that I, I was thinking about this. I believe the, the purchase price was $98,000. Um, and I just knew, I, you know, knew that I wasn't going to live there cause I was going to be traveling to my clients Monday through Thursday. And, um, so I bought it with like an FHA loan, newly gra graduated, <laughs> no money, but I could afford 3% down my first nice. couple paychecks. Um, and then I closed on it in uh, October of 2007. Nice. And then, and with that FHA loan, that was, it was going to be owner occupied. Correct. Yep, exactly. So, you know, I, I was going to move in there and, um, live there for like a month and then, yeah, <laughs> and then rent it. it out basically. So. Okay. Nice. And then that was on campus then for, it was just off campus. Yeah. Great location. Just like basically Southwest of the campus. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That's a common thing I've noticed where I got a, uh, none of them are, let's say we'll call it part-time like, like you are, but they, um, buddies who were working in real estate, uh, doing something lender, what have you, and then made a jump to full-time investing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them did something similar where we, if you're just spending all your money, you're not able to 
like save up to invest. So then they did the same thing. Yeah. Where, we, where they lived at home or, you know, did did something with nine roommates as an adult still, you know, <laughs> yeah, and right. finally, the yeah, life. finally gave it up when, you know, like they, someone wouldn't let them or something. <laughs> so mm -hmm. nice. Well, yeah, that's yeah. So then you got started right away, basically. Yeah, so. I got started right away. And um, that first deal went pretty well. And I found over the course of obviously 2008, 2009, prices started coming down. You know, that first deal I still own. I still own it. And um, it's doing well. But some of the other deals, I, I bought probably three or four more single family houses in South Bend, more around the prices of like the house I was living in, like the forty-five, fifty thousand dollar prices, even forty thousand. And at the time, lenders would lend on it, so I would put, you know, even twenty percent down. But and I get a loan for twenty-five thousand dollars, and you know, for thirty years. So, yeah, and then what kind of cash flow would be on that? Because that's those are good numbers with how inexpensive they are relative to the rents. Yeah, so I I tried to do the college rental thing for a little while to rent to students, and I ran into some issues where, you know, I would have three people that were locked in to live there, each paying by the room. And then they would email me right before school started saying they got in a fight and they don't want to live together. And so they wanted to break their lease. And so I ended up going just with fa local families, um, but I could still rent out these houses. I would buy for 45,000 for like 800, 850. Mm -hmm. um, nice. So it's like 25% return. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that's a really low gross rent multiplier. That's yes. like a five doing that just in my head, but that's like, that's, There'd be a lot of cash flow on that. Exactly. Those yep. first, yeah, those first deals I did in Madison, similar, but the the prices for what the rents were in Madison, Wisconsin, were like double that. Yeah, like ten GRMs. Okay. So not as much cash flow, still a fair amount, mm -hmm. but yeah, that's nice because then that's all like cash flow driven, or not so much about appreciation or exactly, uh, exactly. Nice. And for me, I think the other thing that was important to me, you know, I new, really young, just graduated college, have, you know, my salary, but the numbers weren't so big that if I made a mistake on a $50,000 house, it's like, okay, I overpaid by $5,000. It's not the end of the world. And so that was going through my mind too, as opposed to being somewhere like in Chicago or somewhere where, you know, you're going to buy a house for $300,000 or $500,000. And if you make a mistake there, it's a little, a little bigger. Right. So that was definitely an impactor. So what? So then that was sort of part of your mindset going in on the first deal was just sort of like, these aren't that expensive, like don't overthink it. Exactly. Just take action was the real thing that I kept thinking to myself. Um, you know, I just, if I keep taking action, small little action each day and buy something, I'm, you know, then, cause I, I was doing a lot of analysis, but I think the first time I took action, they're like, wow, this really excites me. And so I wanted to keep doing that. Um, so that that was that was a key, I think. Nice. And so really the first so that first deal though, so you you bought it real quickly after you graduated. Mm -hmm. So about how long from maybe reading the Rich Dad Poor Dad book to buying that first deal was it? It's like a few years. I would say it was probably a year. Like I probably read Rich Dad Poor Dad October, November of my senior year of college. And then I closed on that that first deal the, the next year when I had graduated that May close on it by October. Nice. Yeah, that's quick. What did you do in that year then just to learn about investing in real estate buying or what did you read any more books on real estate eventually or I did I did end up reading a bunch of those books in the rich dad series, I think cash flow quadrant and and I started learning that mindset. Yeah, you know, I was a I was an engineer in college. And so I didn't have a lot of exposure to business. 
And so once I started reading that, I'm like, oh, there's a whole nother way to look at life instead of getting an engineering job for 50 years. Yeah. Know? I've so. read all, all of, a lot of those books too, uh, around the same age. And what's funny, I, I don't know where you were getting them from. I was li- li- getting them from the library, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it was still like a little bit before, uh, I guess Amazon was obviously out, but it, it was, uh, yeah, like I'd go on vacation to like our cabin mm-hmm. or something to go to this like little <laughs> library up north and um, getting whatever Robert Kiyosaki books they had. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was like the right level for someone new too, like super basic. Exactly. The cash flow quadrant. It was a good way to think about different ways to make like how you're making your money and the different, let's call it, you know, quadrants that fits in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he did, they did have some real estate books that were great for like very basic like exactly and that that's like what i I just needed the mindset shift you know and i think the the, the funny thing is i would go buy the book and then i could write it off in my newly oh, you know okay. newly made llc yeah um so that was the the fun thing i had too yeah nice yeah so then so that you when you bought your first deal you just sort of there's still so much you didn't know at that point which we would realize at, the, at this juncture yeah but you just didn't let that sort of hold you back like you had um, the thought, if you just, if the deal, if you made a bad deal, what was like your mindset? Like you, yeah, I think it was just that the price was kind of so low that even if I made a mistake and it didn't work out, I could, I could still work at my job. I was living at home with my parents, thankfully, and luckily that they were so willing to allow me to do that, that allowed me to save money. So I think just the low price point was, was kind of what allowed me to just keep taking action and say, okay, just try to keep buying stuff, you know, yeah. keep trying to be the owner from rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. makes, makes total sense. And I had a similar sort of mindset on that point as well. Like I had read maybe two books on actually on real estate investing and the rest were more sort of just general, like I'll call more like mindset books. Like you're talking about where there's not a, like a strategy on how to buy property in those, yeah. um, in those, you know, Robert Kiyosaki books, let's say, but I, my thought was, yeah, if I overpay, I just need to make sure that this thing cash flows. And then worst case, I overpaid and I messed up and then I'll just hold it. And yeah. I still am cash flow positive and I'm making money every month. And so I, I really thought like, okay, some of this valuing the property stuff, I'm just, I'm still new. I think I got a handle on it. In case I don't, let me really dial in like rents and expenses because that's something I should be able to figure out. Mm-hmm. Rents, I can just look around what are things asking and actually renting for, and then, you know, for expenses, you know, make sure you understand what's going to happen with everything, yeah. you know, your insurance, how much repair should be utilities, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, but there weren't that many expenses on those first deals. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. I think the valuing everything. thing too, it's if, like you said, it's, it doesn't matter what the value is. As long as it cash flows, like you could be totally wrong on the value. You could be off by 25% and, and still be okay with if you had cash flow. Yeah. And at least, yeah, in terms of like a worst case scenario, mm-hmm. you know, if that, uh, right, you'd hold it and eventually it'll go up. Yeah. You know, long term, that won't work if you just keep <laughs> overpaying 25% every deal. Right. But yeah, on the first ones, that's, uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. So it's interesting you said that because I don't yeah. think we've ever talked about that before. Yeah, no. And it's something that I think is interesting too, you know, like you're at that point, it's not like your family does real estate or you were in real estate. And no, yeah. Yeah. Cause everyone we've had, let's say on the podcast so far, um, if they're doing real estate, you know, as an investor, they, they had a real estate job before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where they had some experience. So it's interesting to hear how you did that. Um, 
because mine was kind of similar in a way where I got started before I eventually got a real estate degree and mm -hmm. then also um, worked at a couple shops. But like I was already investing. So I've had a similar path to you in terms of just let me figure this out. And, you know, I can't and just sort of minimize the downside. Get going. Mm -hmm. Also, So what what sort of I mean, you didn't make any excuses. I mean, what sort of like you could have been like, I need more experience or something like what? What else was going through your mind? Anything? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was maybe just ignorance or the fact that I started with single family houses and it's not as overwhelming, I think, as when you start talking multifamily and there's these terms you don't know. And um, but with a single family house, it's like most people make a purchase of a house in their lifetime. You know, so a lot a lot of people do. And so you could work with the realtor. There wasn't a lot of um, barriers to entry when it comes to that. So I think that helped just to be able to say, okay, I'm going to find a realtor. I'm going to say, I want an investment property and, and just do it and just get to the end. You know, like I had no idea what the steps were, but getting to the end, I think was always in my mind. It's like, I want to buy this. This is, this is going to work out. The numbers work out. So let's just figure out how to do it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense where if your first deal was going to be something uh, this was uh, this also this deal was out of town you're living in Correct. chicago in south bend mm -hmm. in indiana how far away is it it's about so, an hour and a half from chicago or something. okay so yeah. yeah but not like in your neighborhood right. so that's like a challenge you overcame that and then but what's it's interesting where yeah if cause i see people where like their first deal let's say and i i'm almost like i'm shocked like they <laughs> it like happened because it's it'll be some complicated thing like i live in illinois i bought something in uh uh, you know, Las Vegas or something. We need mm -hmm. to renovate it and do all these like moving pieces. It's a hundred unit deal. I raised all this mo in money. Or it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's a first deal. Like I don't yeah. like I. I totally agree with what you're saying. Where you know, start with a house. I started with a two unit that was like the price of an average house, probably in Madison. Nothing special. You know, a, a two bed and a three bed unit. Um, so like that. That I totally agree with and makes sense. And then you can work your way up because we'll, exactly. we'll get to it. But you're doing bigger deals now today. But that's, you know, almost 15 years later. Right. So, right. Cool. Well, yeah, maybe let's walk through other deals then. So what, what were the next deals like you bought a, uh, yeah. houses then? Yeah. So I bought a few more houses down in, in South Bend and they were a little bit cheaper because we went through, you know, obviously the 08, 09 recession. And so they got even more profitable. And so I was excited to do a few of those. Um, and then I kind of took a pause. I, I changed jobs. My, my day job changed um, from consulting. And I, I started working for a trading firm here in Chicago down at the Board of Trade. And I was very focused on that job at the time, a lot going on with, with interest rates and I was trading bonds. Um, so I was very focused on that. I, I stopped kind of buying properties. I probably had about four or five houses at that time, all in South Bend. And what years was this? This was... Um, for, so the first one at the end of 2007 and then probably through 2010, 2011, I didn't do anything else. I had bought four or five down there and just kind of that was it at the time. And what, what years did you buy the four or five? Uh, between um, 2008 and 2010. Great. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And then, so yeah, that for a second, I thought you said you bought them all in 2007. Oh, you no, took no, a no. pause till 2010. I was like, dang, okay. No. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what, what were you thinking though? prices went down you just bought a house or two yeah yeah that's what i was thinking i was thinking these they're going down like my logic from before that this is a, a cheap enough price if i make a mistake it should be okay like oh well, now it's even cheaper so let's just keep doing it 
Um, and so I was able to buy four or five more, um, to get to that, you know, five, five to six units. Yeah. That's a really good mindset. Cause I think what, uh, what I find interesting is obviously you want to buy low and sell high. Right. Mm -hmm. But then when the prices actually drop, most people, they get real tentative, like, oh, geez, I just bought a house. Now it's worth less. Lo now let me hit the brakes where instead you're like, well, let me just get three, four more here and <laughs> yeah. that'd be better. Exactly. So I mean, my whole mindset throughout this process was I want to buy a lot more. And so it's like, as Warren Buffett says, it's, stuff's on sale now. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's not like I was worried about that one that I bought. I, I was thinking I'm going to buy, you know, 20 was my thought at the time. Like I'm going to get to 20 units and then retire. You know? Yeah. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Cause I think our biggest year buying, I think was 2020. Hmm. And a lot of people ask about that, like, how'd you do it? And it, it's like, well, you're supposed to buy when like prices are lower, <laughs> right? Like you, so you would want to buy when people were on the sidelines waiting to see how everything shook out. Right. So that's, that's in, interesting. You were doing that right away. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was like 13 years <laughs> in for me or 15, whatever. <laughs> so nice. Okay. So then, uh, 2010 till about when, let's say, were you not so, buying? Yeah. So then I took a break till probably 2015 or 16 where I had five or six units in South Bend. I'm like, that's my business there in South Bend. And then I, at the time I was working in my, this trading job. And then I actually went to business school as part-time. And so I was doing that, like, you know, a lot of time went into that. And it's basically towards the end of business school. I thought to myself, like my business is so small, like six units in South Bend. I want to, I want to grow this. I need to start taking more action kind of that I think I reread Rich Dad Poor Dad again yeah. just to get remotivated. Um, and so then in at the end of 2015, I started looking for more properties. And in 2016, I bought another place in South Bend. And then 2017, I bought a, a duplex. So it was like my first multi-unit uh dwelling. So I had I got up to, you know, eight properties in South Bend. And again, you know, just kind of looking at my business, I was thinking, you know, buying one to two units is just not getting me where I want from a, from a cash flow standpoint and, and, and things like that. So I started, I wanted to look for bigger places. And I also, you mentioned that South Bend being a little bit further away. I it's out of sight, out of mind, kind of, I, if, if I could find something closer to Chicago where I live, then I think I would be more involved. I could grow it quicker. The appreciation opportunity is greater here in Chicago than it would be in South Bend. And so um, in 20, towards the end of 2017, I found a fourplex in a, um, town blue Island, Illinois. And it's interesting the the blue Island, it's, it's a, a um, a working class neighborhood. Um, so and it's a, it's a suburb like in Southern, Southern, Chicago, yeah, so, suburb Southern. of Chicago, exactly to the South. Yeah. And the, the market was very similar to South Bend. In fact, this, this four unit building that I found there was uh, $180,000 four units. So it's like $45,000 a unit. Yeah, like, and then nice. you could rent it out for eight to $900. So it's like, wow, this is like almost a South Bend house, but in Horrible. Chicago and, and then closer. Nice. So that, so I found this, this fourplex in, in 2017. Um, and then that kind of just that momentum of finding that I found another six unit building in, in blue Island as well. And kind of got to that point where like, okay, I found this fourplex. I found that I've doubled my Double my unit size in in like six months, buying that fourplex in the six unit building back to back. 
Nice. And one, one thing I didn't ask you about, and I'm sure people would want to know is financing. So mm -hmm. the first deals that were houses, you mentioned FHA. Yep. So that uh, I'm familiar with that, but why don't you want to give the, or all four loans were FHA ones? Or just the just the first one was a, a three percent down FHA loan. So if I bought I bought it for ninety eight thousand, I put three thousand dollars down, like pretty much my signing bonus for my first job. And and that one needs to be an FHA. That one you need to owner occupy. Yes, yeah. So I didn't have any other houses. I had never purchased anything. So I you know said I'm going to live there for a month and then rent it out, and that was fine. And then um, there's loan limits like by county. So what's interesting is if you want to do that in where we're sitting now in Cook County and buy like a four unit hmm. in like a one of the nicer neighborhoods let's say you're you're quite a bit over that limit um but then then but for a house in south bend whatever county that's in this fit perfectly no issue correct yeah no issue and i did run into an issue as i started buying more of these houses and i was financing that like i was fine you know forty thousand dollar house i would finance and then eventually banks were like oh well you can only have five loans in your name i'm like oh well wish you'd have told me this earlier you know because i'm getting a loan for $23,000 or something. And, um, so eventually I was able to kind of get around that. Um, and I did bring on, I have a, a partner that I bring on that I actually went to, to grade school with. And so I pulled him into some of the deals and I was like, okay, can we put the loan in your name? And then yep. that was it. Well, one way we were able to kind of grow it as well. Yeah. I've heard of people doing that because the next, so first one was FHA in your name. Mm -hmm. Then the next three, those were just through like a local bank in South Bend or from where? Yeah, local bank in South Bend, 20% um, down, but 20% down of 40, $45,000 is not much. Um, so I was able to save that with my job. And um, so that's kind of how we got those first couple. And then, and so, uh, and then you would have had at a certain point, like the one FHA loan and then three or four bank loans in yes, your name. Exactly. And then it's, and then at some point, if you want to buy more, you, you could bring you in a partner. And their partner's, partner's name, name. Yep. exactly yeah. yep and then i've yeah i've heard of people doing that too where there's some in the limit i think it comes from it's like there's only so many loans in your name like that's like it comes from fannie mae or mm. something and then they want to resell these loans because oh, they're I see. conforming like they're 20 percent down under 400 whatever the uh jumbo loan cutoff is like they're they're those ones that fannie wants to insure oh, okay. or buy or however that works on the back end buying a four unit you know, that's different than buying a house. So then how'd you finance, finance that one? So the four unit one, I, my dad is a partner on that one. So I, I talked to him and I had just kind of restart the, my momentum in my business. I said, you know, it, we did get a conventional loan on that one as well. Um, so it's under his name. Um, eventually we were able to transition the deeds into, you know, our LLCs as a protection method, but the loan was under his name. And, um, I was, I just basically did, did the deal, ran the numbers, um, and all that. So, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, and you, did you do that on all the deals eventually where you initially acquire them individually yes. and then, uh, you know, quick claim deed or whatever exactly. method you use into an LLC, everything under, yeah, exactly. Everything under, um, five units. So those duplex, the houses and the four, the fourplex acquired under my, my name individually or. A partner whether it's my partner or my, my father for that fourplex and then we quick claim deed of, deeded them into a, a series llc that we had created so each property is a separate series in that llc got it yeah and so illinois has series llcs i think some other states do but it's just people would use those because they're they're cheaper to open basically mm -hmm. where you open up the main llc and then the 
sub ones and you would know the terms made better than me there's just it's less money to open them correct is that idea yeah exactly and then and then like at the time i could have everything under one umbrella you know my one name and then it's like series one or series two and and then i could label it by the, the property name yeah under that under that series yeah yeah it's interesting that's like those are out and then if you ask like a lot of attorneys like should i use those they all say don't because the case law is not very uh mm -hmm. there isn't much on it so they're they're like yeah you save money but there's not as much sort of protection track record of one of the further down out one i think it's one of the series llc's the ones that you know the sub ones that are opened mm. um so that's what they say just to point that out but i mean we're fine for you <laughs> same thing with quit claiming to an llc you know you gotta if you read your loan docs you're not allowed to transfer the ownership mm -hmm. you know but it's it's a weird thing where you ask your lender and basically they say yeah it's fine do it yeah. <laughs> you know like everyone does it <laughs> um so just something to be aware of at least where you know just uh to check but you know worked out worked out fine for me and you yeah. i've done all the i did the same thing with uh transferring any of those smaller deals that were just in my name to LLCs, LLCs eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's weird to refi. Like you got to put it back you in your name. Transfer, you transfer back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you do your refi and you put it back in an LLC. So yeah, it's, um, it's funny. But then once you get to, when I, I knew where you're going over, you know, five units and over, yes. you don't, it's a whole different financing environment. Yeah. Um, but maybe first on the four unit. So your dad, um, like first, so then you just, bought it in his name correct yeah and, and then the down payment at that point like that's a bigger down payment yeah you know yeah a little bit bigger down payment so um yeah so he we did I, and i'm trying to remember exactly how we split the down payment he did come with with some money and he does participate in obviously in the profits and, and that deal um so he brought some money i brought some money and um we put the loan under his name closed on it and that one actually um, just because we at the time we bought it, it's been the long, you know, the longest one. That one's gone appreciated substantially. Rents have gone up, so that one's doing pretty well. Great, yeah. And then, so then with, uh, let's say then because you're like your dad, he, this was he he just has like what does he do? Then let's maybe for some context where he's he's an attorney. Um, he he does medical malpractice attorneys. He defends doctors in malpractice cases. So. He's not really involved in real estate, although I did come to find out later that his father um, was an attorney as well, but also did some real estate stuff back, you know, a long time ago. And he actually built, he was like a developer on oh, really? <laughs> a couple of houses, like in like different parts of Chicago or different buildings in Chicago. So well, I learned that later after I'd already gotten involved. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, my dad's dad, he, who I never met because he ended up, he had a heart attack before I was born, but he, hmm. he owned a, uh, a a couple restaurants this is in like northern wisconsin and then he wanted to like build condos next and like yeah. houses up there like start building <laughs> like housing and um and when he passed away the no there were no buyers for the longest time um for this bar restaurant that was closed down mm -hmm. and then eventually uh, one of the indian tribes up there came and bought it and then there's a casino on it now oh, so really? it's funny where yeah the um uh that that that's like the only Brenneman's real estate deal, yeah. if you will, is uh, <laughs> selling that off eventually. So, and there is no, no buyers, but if then, if they could get their casino approved off reservation, then it was like, we can pay up and they did. Oh, so I think okay. that, um, yeah. So Turtle Lake Casino, check it out, everybody. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is, um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting, but it wasn't like he was, uh, you know, doing real estate and he wasn't, you know, maybe put in like 10 grand on that deal or something, but wasn't, um, 
you were still setting it up and correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I've noticed that too, where like you got to be really resourceful. So just to like point that out where, okay, it sounds almost like, oh, this is sort of a simple in retrospect. Like you start with a house then you buy a few more, then go to four unit. But like these aren't in where in the state you live in even to get it to a price point where you can buy them now in the cash flow you're living at home like mm -hmm. and then to do a four unit you're partnering with one or two more people and uh finding unique ways to finance them you know because you've maxed out your loan count yep um and then so like that's one thing too where i've you know seen the same thing a million times with the people that are good at this like in or really any business you got to be resourceful yeah so that's that's important to point out um so then what Let's just keep going through the deals. I think this is a good way for people to learn. Sure. Yeah. So then, so I did the fourplex, and at that time, also I started listening to Bigger Pockets, the podcast, and I was just eating up the podcast. Like literally, I think I would listen to a podcast every day because I I had started. They were on probably episode two hundred at the time, so I had two hundred podcasts I could get through. And so it was just so interesting to hear about what other people were doing and how people were able to scale their business. And so. Um, I found that six, six unit deal and I knew that that, that deal now the financing is a little different. I can get financing based on the deal. Um, not, it's not, not necessarily based on me. Um, and they, they're still going to underwrite me, but they're going to look at the deal a little, little bit more closely. And so I was able to find a, I financed that one with us bank. I had a, a local guy showed him the deal. I showed him, here's what the cash flow looks like. And, and he liked it. And, um, I was able to structure that with, um, with, you know, with, I think, so actually that one, my dad and my partner, both, all three of them are involved in that one as well. And I came to them said, we're going to scale this, we're going to grow it. And, and so, um, it's this on this little block in blue Island. And that was, that was my first kind of multifamily deal where I was able to, I set up an, a separate LLC. I financed it in that name. They underwrote the the deal with um, you know all three of us, my myself and my the two partners, my dad and my my other partner, um, on that deal and and closed that kind of right off, right away after that fourplex. Nice. All so we're still in 2015. 20 in yeah 2015 yeah. And how many units was this deal? Six units. Okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah, makes yeah perfect because that's so what we're what we're so the difference is on a four unit to a six unit. It was really just the financing. The, the financing was the main thing. Yeah, exactly. The the, the um, price per unit was about that same. So I talked about the fourplex was one hundred eighty thousand dollars. So about forty five thousand a unit. Similar thing for the for the sixplex. Maybe it was at that time up to fifty thousand a unit, um, but still around that price. Fifty thousand a unit. I could rent it out for for nine hundred nine hundred dollars a month. Nice. Yeah, and that that that's. I've, heard that all heard that before too where now you have uh these five units and over like they're really underwriting the deal mm -hmm. how they underwrite you is really just looking at you know more from a uh like a personal guarantee standpoint not like yeah. you know on the four units they want to look at your income and they do some funny thing with like the rents like we can count that as 75 percent towards your income and then but we use 100 percent of the expenses uh but then once you get to a five unit they look at the deal does this cash flow you know usually they want to see the net income from the property uh be a 120 125 percent of what your loan payment is so if you hear yeah. like a dscr of a 120 to 125 like that's what they're 
talking about mm-hmm. where they want they want to see the deal do that and then the people running it they want to see they have net worth and liquidity to uh, you know step in and help it if needed the deal and then also experience so it's interesting um one hurdle you you would have had if you just started with the six unit i'm you know you already know this but like it would have been like well you haven't done any deals before yeah you know i know you guys you got the the team here with three people and the liquidity to do it but there's no experience here so it's interesting so you got to kind of you got to work your way up or if you want to start at a six unit one of the partners would have to been someone who's already been doing this for a while yes but instead i mean you're applying and you have you know at that point seven eight years of experience investing so that's like that box checked and now and that did it seem did it seem easier buying the six unit than the other ones or I, I was nervous about what you just talked about, you know, them saying, oh, well, you don't have multifamily experience. And and I had did some reading and, and I thought maybe that was going to be an issue. But my the lender at U.S. Bank said, no, you're, you're experienced. Like, you've done this before. You guys have a portfolio. Yeah, you um, have a, you know. a four unit as well. Yeah. And that's a multi unit mm-hmm. deal. So, yeah, that's it's just a lending thing. Right. Yeah. But I will say, yeah, it was the buying that six unit was was easier than than definitely my first deal ever. Um, so it was it, it progressively got easier. I sort of understood the process a little bit more. I didn't understand how they would underwrite the deal, um, but I learned like my the lender was great because it, he just was like, OK, here's what they're going to ask about. Here's what you have to show. And, you know, but and once I sent them, you know, basically the the offering memorandum from the broker that had it on the market, the guy was like, okay, we'll enter our numbers into our system and tell you if we like it. He called me back the next day. He's like, this is great. The numbers are pencil out. So great. (laughs) Great. Yeah. That's, I I mean, hearing you talk about this, I would say the easiest size deals to buy, if we're talking multifamily, it's, it's actually five or six units Mm -hmm. because of this, you get the financing where there's, there's this sort of, they look at the deal uh, more so where you don't have to worry about, okay, whose name is it in or whatever. You're just going to put it in the LLC to start. Like to me, that's like actually the, the easiest yeah. size deal, let's say, which is interesting. Once you, when you get to that size, you don't think this will be easier. You think, oh, Jesus will be harder now. Yeah. Um, and then obviously once you go up from there, the, I'd say the deals are harder just because there's more work to do, more moving pieces. Yeah. Numbers start getting bigger. Mm-hmm. But yeah, keep keep going. What what else? Yeah, so so then, um, so I had that that six unit deal, and then again, I was listening to bigger pockets, often kind of staying motivated, learning learning a ton through this process. Um, I ended up buying a six unit building directly next to the one I bought uh, in in twenty fifteen. That following year, um, it went on the market, and we right away talked to the broker and said we own the building next door, we want to buy it, and um, so we so we bought that one. And then I still was thinking like, I'm not scaling fast enough. I want to keep this growing. And so I thought I, bigger pockets introduced me to the idea of a syndication. So basically pooling together money of friends and family was my thought process and buying something bigger. And it would allow me to maybe collect a fee up front to, you know, be something that could be scalable that I could um, make a little bit more money on. And then plus I could retain a percentage of the ownership for just doing all the work, not even bringing cash. And so I came up with this business plan that I wanted to start a syndication and to buy. And at the time I was like, okay, I want to buy a, you know, 12 unit building, <laughs> double the size, um, or, or bigger, you know, 12 to 20 was kind of my thought process. Uh, and so the first step I thought, well, I'm kind of out of money. <laughs> you know, I bought these six unit buildings back to back. How can I get a little bit more money? 
And how can I also build this investor group that would want to be part of my syndication? And so I started to, I came up with this idea to do some flipping in 2018 and 2019. And so I put together a little business plan and I said, I also was networking and I met somebody at a meetup that was doing some flipping kind of on the South side of Chicago near Midway. And so he had talked to me, he's like, oh yeah, we just, we bought this house for like $50,000 and we put in 50 or 60 and we sold it for 150 and made 40 grand. And I'm like, okay, like that sounds like a good way to make some chunks of cash. I can, I can get some more money for the syndication and, and I could potentially find some investors that would want to invest in that flip with me. So, so I was working with this, this guy that I had met and we did that same thing. We bought a house that had been vacant for a while. And I pitched this to a couple friends and said, if you give me whatever chunk of money, give me $25,000, give me $30,000, $50,000, I will pay you 12% interest. And I'm going to use that money to buy this house and buy all the materials and the labor to do this flip. And then I'll, I'll pay you out the interest when I, when I sell the house. And, um, that's exactly what we did. We, we bought this house for roughly $50,000 near midway. We put in about $60,000 and sold it for 160,000 and with taxes and everything, you know, we netted like $30,000. And so I'm like, that's a great chunk of money. Um, and so I, I did, and then, then I was able to pay out the investors that had given me some money, their 12%. They were excited. You know, they got their money back in four months, five months, however long it took. And I did that like five or six more times in, in 2018 and 2019, just to earn some chunks of cash. And then my investors were like, this is awesome. Like, can I do another one? I'm making 12% quickly. I'm getting my money back quickly. Um, so that is kind of the first step to getting to my syndication. I earned some chunks of money, fostered this, this group of investors. Um, and then I decided, okay, well, first of all, flipping is a lot of work. It's, uh, I, <laughs> That's what I was thinking when you were yeah. saying this. I was like, "Hey, now we're flipping houses while we have a job." Okay, <laughs> right, right, right. So the, I had this partner that I um, that I met through um, networking and and basically at some meetups. He was doing this type of stuff full time, and so I, I he didn't put any cash in these deals, but I gave him a third of the all the profits. I'm like, "You don't have to put any cash. Can you help me run this? Can you help me organize the contractors?" And so he basically did a lot of the work. The, being yeah. in person got it. with no cash in front. And then we'd, we'd sell the house and he'd get a third of the profits. Right. Got it. So I was able to kind of just figure out how to get it done while I was at work. He was doing that stuff. Yeah. So then you're basically, you get two thirds over a 12 you exactly. know, because you're paying out 12 to the investors and then he gets a third for doing the, the, the day to day on those. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Exactly. So then you do, how many of those did you do? We did six, six total flips and, to varying degrees of success, I would say the most we made was like $45,000 on one of the, the flips. And then we probably made like 13,000 on one of them, which was not great. But, um, but altogether, it was definitely a success. Um, I, you know, I thought about trying to scale that type of business up a little bit more to do like, you know, 10 flips a year or something. And it just, it, it got overwhelming with the amount of work. And then the taxes that come out when you sell these properties, it's like, you know, the transfer taxes, but then income tax. Cause it's, right. it's, it's ordinary, ordinary income. income. Yeah. So it was just, um, it was great to build that group of investors and to earn a, some chunks of money, but I didn't think it was a long-term thing I wanted to do. Yeah. And then at that point you had 
roughly how many units? Because now you you have 96 today. 96 today, so. yeah. I probably had like 24 units at the time with the two six-unit buildings, a four-unit, four some of the stuff in South Bend, you know, 20, 24 units around then. So last three years, roughly, you've got 70 more units. So take me through that. Yeah, so so I did the five, the six flips in 2018 and 2019 and then paid out the investors their 12%. And then they were kind of emailing me saying, when's the next flip? <laughs> when are, when can I, how can I get involved in more long-term stuff? And so I said, okay, now I'm going to do this syndication. I'm going to find a 12 to 20 unit building and bring in a few investors. And, and um, I structured it with me owning, I was able to, to give them a nice, healthy return, upper teen return, you know, 18, 19% return based on the numbers. I, I did a whole underwriting process and I was able to retain 40% of ownership in this building that I found. It was a 16 unit building also in Blue Island and presented the deal to the investors. They saw they were going to, you know, get this, this 18, 19% return. And I was going to pay out cash flows every, every quarter. Um, which I'm, which I am doing. Nice. Um, so they all signed up. They said, let's do it. Let's try it. Um, and so we bought this, this 16 unit building there. Um, I built a whole, you know, we had, to, I had hired this attorney to build out a, a, a deal structure and, a, and an agreement that they all signed. Um, and then I went back to that same lender that, that did my first, the six, the two six unit buildings that I had previously bought and said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do the syndication. And the cool thing about that is that if you don't own over 20%, you don't have to be involved in the underwriting process. So I, it was still a limited number of people. I think one of the investors had to go through the underwriting and be you know looked into a little bit more in more detail. Um, but I was able to kind of mostly make it passive for these investors. They Now they own this chunk of real estate long-term. Every quarter, I, I, I write up a little email about how things are going and I pay them out their cash flows from that quarter. Um, from the, just the cash flows from the operations and, um, you know, just went, went from there. Nice. And the profit split or cash flow split is 60, 40 on that. Exactly. Yeah. So 60, 40, so 60% to the investors and then 40% to me. And then I actually did come with some cash, a limited amount of cash. So I actually have a little bit more than, than 40% on that. Yep. Make, yeah. Makes sense. And then you had, um, uh, and then they get the investors get their money back just when we sell or refi like that initial money they put in or exactly yeah that's written into the agreement where if we sell or refi that they get their money back and that I think I also have it written in the agreement that um, they will get their money back before I take any profit so if for some reason something crazy happens um, I would I would forfeit all any of my forty percent I would just give them their money back I think I did have a clause in there okay that. I yeah I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that and then that makes uh, sense. So then, if they those quarterly distributions, then those count. Those are more like a return of their capital first. Then correct first, you... exactly. Yeah, that's how we're, that's how it's structured. Okay, got it. So they get their money back first, and then we you start splitting sixty forty. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Then if they never got, yeah, then they need to get the money, money back first back before first you get. That, yep. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And then, um, so yeah, and what you were saying about with the underwriting that I, I, I get. So unpack that a little. So if any owners over, I think, I think it's 25%, you know, and it's a bank loan, they need to do some, uh, this for like bank compliance for different, uh, anti-terrorism and like money laundering laws and things where they need to know who is this owner. Mm -hmm. Um, so then that's where you're saying there's some extra work for them. Cause now you're filling out forms saying who you are, here's my name and social and address. And exactly. I'm signing this, 
And what I didn't, what I did is there were a couple people that of investors that were really interested in investing with me, but they didn't want to do that work. Like they would ask them to fill out a personal financial statement and like send in a bunch of like their taxes. And a couple of my investors were like, ah, do I really have to do that? I'm like, okay, no. How about you take 24% ownership and then you're under that threshold and then you still, you know, you have the cash for that. And then, so that, that is kind of how I structure for a couple of the people that wanted to give more, but I I just kind of limited them so they didn't have to go through those extra steps. Yeah. That's a good idea. And then for the personal guarantee on a loan like that, who, who was that? Yeah. The personal guarantee on the loan was, was under my name. Cause I was, um, had the more, I did my partner, Mark, um, he's also involved. So he owns more than, more than 25% as well. So he was also part of the personal guarantee. So Mark and I were able to go through that process. No problem. Right. So then as it is a syndication, as an investor, you're just putting in money. Yes. You don't need to spend any time on the deal or be on the loan. Like you're just, you're putting in money and then it's a, that's cause it's interesting. Like real estate, people talk about being a passive investment. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's almost, it's not passive at all. If you're the owner or the person running the, the deal, but if you're able to just invest in a syndication like that, it would, it, it is totally passive. You're just putting your money in and exactly. make what it, make what it makes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I will say I've had a couple of my investors that I've, that I've talked to, they're like, Oh, this is the best investment I have. I don't have to do anything. It's not going down. Like I'm, I'm still getting the same cash flows every quarter than like, whereas the stock market, everything's, everything's gone down in value and I'm losing money there. He's like, can I do more deals? I'm like, well, I'm trying to find them. So. Yeah. I know. I joke with people here. Like when I uh, get older, I just want to be like one of our investors, right. you know, you put in money and then you, you know, you get paid, you know, <laughs> so, um, where, you know, it's, it's a lot of work doing these deals where, uh, you know, I was almost going to say like, there's like, it's the least passive investment you could make, but it's, <laughs> that's not like as a, as the sponsor, but mm-hmm. it, that's not true. Like I'm owning a, a restaurant or something would be You're more day. more day to day. Yeah, you could have problems uh, just at all all hours running a restaurant. So there's businesses that take way more work than real estate, but it's it's a lot of work. So then, um, if you can invest in something and. Uh, yeah, people charge a, like a incentive fee or success fee, like you're talking about. If you make uh, a certain amount, like then you get a share of the profits. But that's after you have your money back, and yeah, um, you share in a syndication. You share in the tax benefits of investing in real estate too. Yeah. So I'd imagine they haven't been allocated a ton of uh, taxable income. Exactly right. So. That was another benefit. It's like I'm gonna, you know, if somebody gave me fifty thousand dollars, I would, you know, it, my estimate might be like, okay, you're gonna receive five thousand dollars of cash flow this year. But your the K one that you receive from this syndication is going to indicate that you made five hundred dollars. So you you might pay tax on five hundred, or maybe nothing, or maybe negative money, depending on right. you know yeah. a, a couple factors. But so so they did. I, I think a lot of the investors didn't understand that benefit fully until they got their first K one. They're like, oh wow, like you actually gave me money, but this is showing me a loss, and I can write that off potential potentially depending on their situation against earned income they had that year yeah and they yeah or other real estate deals they're in that yeah. might be kicking off income and also yeah because the cash you receive from that deal that's the income you pay tax on is different than cash received the income True. is the you know uh your taxable income is the you know the revenue minus your taxable expenses and there's additional things in there that are not things you pay in cash like you get to depreciate the building so you're taking an expense for that that you don't actually pay Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and everything you pay out, you know, from property taxes to mortgage interest, it's deductible. So then you, 
like those are two different numbers and people don't really grasp that sometimes where you got even even when they're in the, the deals where mm-hmm. they go, I got five thousand dollars, like you're saying, and I got allocated only five hundred dollars of income. I don't right. I don't get I don't it. Get it. Yeah. But it's two separate things. Like you yeah. can um like your cash flow and your in taxable income are different numbers. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely one of the inv- uh, benefits to investing in real estate and then investing long term. So you, since you're not owning it for like a couple months, like a flip, you're even when now when you go sell, it's a long term capital gain. Yeah. And you're paying a lower tax rate. Exactly. Yeah. As well. So it's very tax efficient. Uh, and then obviously options from there to like defer your your gain. So mm-hmm. where you can do a 1031 tax deferred exchange if you want to go into another deal and then you don't pay your taxes yet. Just, you then would pay it when you sell the new deal and you can keep doing that basically forever. forever yeah. So, and so, yeah, a lot of strategies around that. And then you could hold it till you pass away and then you get a basic step up. And, up. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you can do. Um, but nice. Well then I think, why don't, what, what sort of tips do you have for someone working, let's say full time and they want to invest in real estate? Yeah. I mean, I would say it's definitely possible. I think having the team and one thing i'll say too which you you didn't ask about is that these properties now i have a property manager i have a guy that i pay basically who basically just works for me <laughs> you self-manage these so he he manages them for me he collects the rent um he knows all the tenants like i don't know any of the tenants i've never met any of them he um he also manages this handyman guy that i know and so he'll say go to this unit and repair this bathroom and so he he does a lot of it, and, I, and and he's also a broker, so he'll bring me new deals too. So he's kind of a, a one man show for me. Nice. So tip number one: don't do the property management. Don't yourself. do the property. Yeah, okay. find somebody that you can that can you can trust that will do it for you. I talk to him every day. He'll text me or I'll call him and just give me the updates and say here's here's the problems, here's the good things. I'm raising rents. I'm you know here's here's something that we have to look at from a from a, a rehab standpoint. Um, so finding finding a at least a, a guy or a team or a people that can manage it for you is definitely a tip. Great. What else comes to mind? I would say taking action. Um, like I go to work every single day and work really hard in my day job, but I also do something in my real estate business every day, whether it's update my books or just look at my bank, look at my bank accounts. Like it did, has more rent come through. And so it's like always on my mind. Um, and so I'm not, I kind of regret taking basically from 2010 to 2015 completely off and not really doing anything during that time. If I had, if I had just done one deal, you know, during that time, I I feel like I would have, I would have been, had more momentum quicker. So I would say just taking action every, every day on something is, is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, something that to unpack from your story, I mean, number three, like make sacrifices. I mean, how long did you live at at home with your parents then after college? I lived at home for a good three three and a half years until I moved and then I yeah. moved then I moved in with my partner Mark um, who's a partner with my real estate stuff so we talk real estate all the time and so it it was I lived at home made those sacrifices and even living with a, a roommate then with Mark for a while um, and just trying to I, I try not to take any money out of my my real estate business and just let it organically snowball I have this day job I can for sure live on that and save money and keep all my real estate money continuing to compound. Nice. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, just to reiterate that, cause you had, uh, you know, 
you had a nice job and a lot of people, you know, step one is, you know, get a expensive apartment. Step two is get a, you know, a BMW or whatever, <laughs> <clears throat> you know, but you waited on all that stuff. Yeah. So that's, I want to point that out because yeah. that's, that's a common thread I see with people who are able to do something like this where they're not, they're not scared to take action or make sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say too, like the one other thing I'll mention is the podcast, like as soon as podcasting became popular, it was so it was huge for me because I could listen to it on the move. I could listen to it while I'm working out and just really stay motivated and learn a ton. Like the, you know, some of these podcasts that are out there, I, I mentioned bigger pockets podcast. I list, I've probably listened to every podcast, every episode of that podcast, maybe. Wow. Um, and just hearing what different people, that's how I learned about what syndication was and learned about how people can go from owning a house or two or three to making it, you know, more of like something like a legit business. I mean, um, so it's possible, you know, and people do it. Yeah. Well, great. <laughs> You've I done think, it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great point to go out on, you know, so that's, that's great. Yeah. I've, even, even today, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts or audio books, you know, I have uh, a, a business and a, you know, a kid, like I got plenty of stuff to do, but I, it's, I don't have time. I feel like to sit down and read, but you definitely yeah. got time to listen to something while you work out or, drive to work or whatever so yeah. as busy as we are we made time for it so exactly well great well yeah well thanks thanks mike appreciate it think yeah good job with everything thank you thank you and, and congratulations on all this success here i mean this is so cool i just to be in this studio and around your whole team that you've built out i mean i know it's going to continue too so great job yeah thanks appreciate it yeah in this this studio it's actually like this is our office <laughs> and then we just have uh, people work from home on the the podcast days. So, um, but nice. Well, yeah. How can listeners, viewers get in touch with you? Let's say they are interested in investing in a syndication with you or just getting in touch. What yeah. should they do? So my LinkedIn profile is, is just Michael Hennig. Um, it'll say managing consultant with Gallup on the LinkedIn profile, but my email address, I'll just give it to you. It's mhennig14, M-H-E-N-N-I-G 14 at Gmail. So shoot me an email if you if you want to catch up and even if it's for a networking event or just want to talk more about real estate, I'd love to connect with people. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. If you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, Brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.